we're now going to hear God's word read for us, and it's going to be read um, by Nicola and Kelsey. May God bless us as we hear his word together. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 24. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who lived in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit in all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, but in billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you, as you yourselves know, this man has handled over to you by God's set purpose and, for no, and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 to 47. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We've heard the word of God read to us. But now let's pray that God's spirit might make his word alive to us. And we're going to hear and sing and worship together, Spirit of God, unseen as the wind.
Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts in the places that we are be acceptable to you this morning. Amen. In 1963, in Washington, D.C., in the Civil Rights March, Martin Luther King spoke these words. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. And reaching for the whole vision of the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Martin Luther King went on to say, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made a plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And friends, that is how you use a Bible to speak to our society today not by waving it around as some sort of racial weapon. But we might ask this morning this question. What are our dreams? What is our vision for the church? Our society at the moment, many have been using the hashtag build back better. What does it look like? What are our dreams for our society? And what is the picture for our church as we seek to move past COVID in the months that come. This is the season of Pentecost, where we remember the power of God falling onto his church, breathing new life into it, shaping it, that all may have the power to be involved in that shaping and bringing life to the whole of creation. Sometimes when it comes to our vision for a church, actually our aspirations are quite small. We just want to carry on. We just want to have some new members and some more money that we can keep things going, keep our organizations running, and we'll be fine. But I would ask this morning as we come to God's Word that we try to get our heads around the enormity of God's vision for our church, that we begin to dream God's dream as we look forward. As we think about the Holy Spirit falling on Pentecost, 
it's important that we begin to envisage just how enormous this is. Right back in the beginning of the Bible, we find the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1. It starts off by saying the earth was formless and void, darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, brooding over the waters. The Hebrew word for the Spirit brooding over the waters to bring life is the word ruach, which can also mean wind or breath. God's creation itself brought into being by the mothering Spirit. And then we can skip to Genesis 2, where it says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath, the ruach of life. And the man became a living being. It's quite an interesting thought. God, in the beginning, intended that we would breathe he intended to breathe life into every man and woman that we might flourish as part of his creation, that we might know his spirit, his ruach in our lives. How much do we need to hear that today in a world where so many, so many are left saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe because there's a virus in my lungs. I can't breathe because the air has become polluted. I can't breathe because the boot of an oppressor is on my neck. To begin to dream the dream of a world where that is no more, where relationships don't depend on color of your skin. The Holy Spirit intended us to live a different way. And the Spirit spoke through those long ages through the prophets, telling and pushing a vision of a day that God would heal his world, that he would heal creation, that through the Messiah, his son, he would come and pour his spirit, not just on prophets and visionaries and kings, but on all God's people, that we all might have a vision of what God is doing and be able to play our part in it. Young men dreaming dreams, old men having visions, the spirit poured on men and women without discrimination. It had always meant to be. And at the beginning of Acts, after Jesus had risen from the dead and before he ascended, he told them to go and be his witnesses. But he said, wait, wait until the Spirit is poured upon you, just as God promised to the prophets. It wasn't just that they would have power to do new things, but the very power of creation, the very power of God from the beginning would be released among them. Because here is the reality. People talk about fixing things after COVID. But if history tells us anything, it's simply this. We cannot mend this world. It will go back to being just as it was before. We cannot even fix this church unless the Spirit of God gives the vision and the power. And when the Spirit comes, He comes not just that believers would have an experience but that they would have a dream that would enable them to change the world around them. Out they went into the streets, proclaiming the good news of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and inviting all to be believed, to believe and to be forgiven and to be saved. But the important thing is also this. It wasn't just that God was inviting them to have a new relationship with him where their sins would be forgiven in Jesus' name and they would have a hope of eternal life. It was more than that. 
He was gathering them together from every part of that wicked generation that they might be a new people in a new relationship, not just with God, but with each other, just as they had been created to be in the first place. A new community that would bear no distinction to race or background or gender, but all would be invited. If you look at verse 41 of the passage that we read, it says that they accepted the message and they were baptized and the Lord added to their number. Or verse 47, the Lord added to their number. It says it again. What is God doing? As he invites people into this new relationship through his spirit and his son, he draws them straight into a new community. A community that in all its frailty and its brokenness is used by God to give people a glimpse of how they were created to be. To bring the nations together in the community of the spirit. And friends, that needs to be our dream. That enormous dream of the whole of the creation redeemed through the church. It's not just that we come and we sit in a pew in a nice building and we enjoy some good music and some coffee and we leave. And that's what we want to do. It's rather that we come together as agents of God's new creation to transform the world. Pagans in Roman times went to temples to worship their gods. Or they could do it at home with small family shrines. But it was only the Christians who came together to worship. Who came together and had this idea of a community that would bear the name of Christ together. Zeus didn't have a church. Nor did Apollo or Aphrodite. All they had was buildings. Not people whose hearts were united together in a new community of fellowship. But that is what we are called to have, and that is vitally important. In the book of Hebrews, the writer urges that early church, do not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, gather together to encourage one another more and more. At the moment, we can't physically meet together, but we can be together. And can I really urge you at this time, you're missing church, you're missing being here. But can I urge you to keep the space? Keep the space for however long it is until we're able to be together. Keep that Sunday space special because I'll tell you this, the devil will love to fill it with other things so that by the time we can gather in one place, you won't want to be there because you'll have something else to do. So I would really urge you, you can listen to this obviously at any point during the week, but keep that Sunday time special so that it's reserved for when you come again and are able to meet with your brothers and sisters. So what's the church to be like as we build and rebuild it? We'll read again verses 22 to 25. I think we'll keep returning to those. If you ask what does the church want to be, there it is in those verses. Some folk have said it's an idolized picture. It's too good to be true. Well, yes, but Acts is very open. The church will sometimes quarrel. It will often fall out. It will get things wrong. That's why forgiveness is so important. But it keeps coming back to this dream. And what are the marks of the church? Well, let's look at them very briefly. Almost all of them just from one verse, verse 42. It begins, 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 3,000 people had just become believers, we're told, that day. And here's what happened. They heard about Jesus, and then they gathered together to learn more. And the apostles taught them, just like Jesus had taught them. They sat down together. And I can imagine the apostles, as they gathered for their teaching sessions, telling them stories, the same stories that Luke has recorded in his gospel, the stories about Jesus, the things that Jesus taught who Jesus was, what the resurrection meant, how they figured it out, how they lived that together. And they would have read the Bible together. They didn't have the whole of the Bible as we have it. They just had the Old Testament, but they studied the scriptures together. By the way, Donald, that doesn't mean you held it up and waved it around. It means you opened it. It means you read it. It means you heard the messages of God's love, how he tore down the mighty and the powerful and raised up the humble, how he hates injustice and loves the poor. And as they were taught, and as they read it together, as they were shaped by it, they began to be changed. We need to do that as well. Now, we do that in the preaching of God's Word and Sunday by Sunday, but there's other ways too that we can come together and be devoted to that apostolic teaching, small groups, reading books, if you've got more time in these days, please come and join our Zoom Bible study on a, on a Wednesday. We're going to try to do some more things with that over coming weeks. The Glow Bookshop is um, open again for online orders. Why not give them our local business some of your business and order some good Christian books and take your time and study, read, learn. But it wasn't just learning stuff. It goes on to say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, verse 42. The word for fellowship there is the Greek word koinonia. It's a great word, koinonia. And it means a common life, a common goals, a common love, sharing together. It's not just, well, let's have some fellowship because we're going to have a coffee after church. It's much, much deeper than that. It's a sharing and a caring. And as we read this little passage, we'll see that that's expressed materially. They shared the possessions. You know, they just shared things because they cared about each other's lives. They wanted to make sure that everybody had enough. The more you care about other people, the more you'll find yourself sharing. How do we do that today? How do we have the sort of life where we're not terribly worried about what's mine and what's yours because we love one another? Sometimes you get glimpses of that in church. I was preaching on this a few years ago and afterwards, there was an elderly gentleman in the congregation and he simply shared that he was sad because he just received news that his brother had gone into hospital in Newcastle. And then something happened. One of the members there just naturally said, well, I'll take you down to visit him this afternoon. And so he drove him down to Newcastle and drove him back once he'd visited his brother. And it struck me that that was really what this was all about to the chap who did the driving, it didn't matter that he had plans. It didn't matter that his Sunday was marked out by whatever television programs or meals he had. He just saw his brother in Christ's need and thought, well, I can do that. So he did it. That's koinonia, that's fellowship. You know, this fellowship is going to be very important, particularly in an age of social distancing. It's interesting, someone pointed out to me the other day that when our first minister 
speaks about this. She never uses the term social distancing. Nicola talks about physical distancing. And I think that's quite important because, you see, physical distancing is something we have to do for health reasons, but social distancing is about relationships. And we don't want to be doing social distancing at this time. When I physically distance from you, I do it because I love you and I don't want to make you ill because I'm not distant from you socially. I, I hope that in many ways at this lockdown time, we might use it as a time to deepen relationships. I know many of you have been appreciating phone calls, either giving them or receiving them with other members of the congregation. Just with that simple question, how are you? Let's talk, let's hear one another's concerns, one another's needs, what God is saying or doing or what we're struggling with. And I'd want to say this as minister, if you are feeling just now distant from your brothers and sisters in Christ, then I'm sorry because if that's the case, we have failed you. And please get in touch because we'd like to do better for each other. Through garden visits and phone calls, we will keep the koinonia, the fellowship that we are called together. And then thirdly, we read here of the breaking of bread. Now, there's a huge big debate about whether the breaking of bread meant communion or whether it simply meant sitting down together and sharing food. It's interesting that the word companion comes from the Latin com together and panis, bread. To break bread together is to be a companion. And I wonder that some of this had simply to do with hospitality. You see, it's good to have coffee after church, but to invite someone around to your home is something different. You invite them to see your life in all its messiness and complications, to look at the books on the shelf, to look at the, the state of, of your life and to see that, to see all of you. And that's important, the breaking of bread in homes. When we can do that again, we must do it more often. But it's also the sense of breaking of bread in that sense of that meal with Jesus. Not just the Last Supper, the walk to Emmaus, so many other places they broke bread. And every time the disciples broke bread together, they remembered how just recently they had been doing that with Jesus. And they recalled and they knew his presence. And they shared that with each other. And then there is in verse 42, prayer. It comes out of that koinonia, not just asking how it's going, but praying for each other praying for the vision for the church, praying together our hearts as we want to see the world transformed. People go on social media at the moment and they rant about what's wrong with the world in so many different ways, whatever their politics. What about gathering together instead of ranting together, begin to pray together, your kingdom come, Lord. May the injustice of this world, may the bad treatment of this environment, may the racism and the hate, may it change, Lord to begin to pour that out in prayer before Lord the God and intercede with him that he might send his spirit upon his church, wherever that church may be, that it might embody and live out the gospel that brings hope to the world. And that's the last part of this passage in the marks of the church is the openness of the church. They live this out in their homes, but also in the temple courts. Now, sometimes people read this and they think, well, that's their homes and their church. But the Jerusalem temple wasn't a Christian church. The Jerusalem temple was a place that people came from all nations. 
The Jerusalem temple was full of Jews and interested Gentiles and the very people that crucified Jesus. It was an open place, an open space, a place which had traders and the whole of life in it. And there they lived out the gospel openly and unashamedly in the middle of the crowds, naturally inviting people to see the life they had together and be invited into it. There's a challenge for us as a church. How do we live in a church which has deeper relationships, a deeper koinonia, but is also open, inviting, engaged in the community around it as it lives out a different way of living and says to people, you can be part of this. Challenging the structures and the injustice and the selfishness in the, of the world, not by moaning about it, but by living differently in the power of the Spirit. We mustn't underestimate the power of the local church to change a society. Sure, churches can be toxic. They can be full of prejudice and they can be full of hatred and squabbling and viciousness. We've all experienced that, sadly. But think about what a local church can do. Historically, many a community was founded on its local church. It was the church that pioneered the welfare state, treating people in the parish with its relief fund well before there was any government handouts. Education, schools began with the church. Universities were set up by the church. Hospitals, the word means hospitality and it has its roots in Christian hospitality to people who needed help. Now these things today are done in different ways, but we can still do things again to transform and transcend race and class and nation and political tribe by living out differently as the Holy Spirit gives us a new vision. At the heart of this isn't for us to look around and say, what have we done and what could we do? But rather to see what is God doing? To allow God in his Holy Spirit keep us dreaming dreams and having visions of where he will lead. I tell you, if you read through the book of Acts, those disciples had no idea how big God's vision was. They thought it was for Jews in Jerusalem of different types, and then they learned it was for Samaritans too, and then they learned it was for Gentiles, and then they learned it was for Rome and Antioch and all sorts of things that they never started off believing. When the church explodes with the Spirit, the world will never be the same again. What is your dream? Or perhaps more importantly, what is our dream? As together we begin to dream what God wants to say and do in our age. And we allow the risen Lord Jesus, whom we worship and in whom we find salvation, to send his Holy Spirit to shape us and change us, that we might be those who shape and change the relationships of those around us, our community, and our world today. For it is needed no less now than it ever was. May the blessing of God be with us. Amen.